Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week we are meeting with incredible leaders from across Australia and around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. Many of us will agree that the word sales can sometimes carry negative connotations, yet we also agree that in the absence of sales execution, businesses will not be able to perform at their best. So the questions are, one, how do you build a great sales culture? And two, how do you implement a great sales strategy? Today, my co-host, CEO of Peerlight, Gus Arianto and I are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, John O'Neill, General Manager ANZ of James Hardy Building Products, a global leader in fibre cement innovative products. Through his experience working in Europe, North America and the Asia-Pacific region, John will share with us his secrets about how to build a great sales culture and ensure best performance. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Natalie. I guess. Hello, John. Now, uh, John, we always begin these shows with two fun questions that we ask our guests. So we have the two prepared for you. Uh, the first one, what is your favourite sport? Uh, I have lots of favourite sports. I, uh, I was really fortunate. I grew up with a twin brother uh, and we were both kind of sports mad growing up so we we kind of cricket tennis rugby league athletics golf like we, we just did a lot of different things um but we probably played cricket the most and we kind of have an affinity affinity for that game and probably played that through to our early 20s before kind of work and family and stuff catches up with you and spending a full saturday every saturday or even sunday becomes a bit much so uh yeah cricket would i would say would be a favorite sport right Fantastic. now and when you're not at work where will we find you with my family because uh, I have an ever-growing family. I'm about to have my fourth child in a, in a month, so um, that's going to get exciting. And so life's very busy uh, outside of uh, outside of work, and work's very busy. So, so but nothing grounds you more than a two-year-old bossing you around on a regular basis, which is what happens to me every every night I go home. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of lot of family. Fun I hear you. I hear you. Uh, before we go on, John, we we're hoping you could share your story with everyone. Tell us a bit about yourself. So we can understand who John O'Neill is. So, right, yep, I'll try and keep it um, fairly brief. So I grew up on cattle properties in central Queensland, a little bit different, I guess, to to a lot of people. Um, So I had a twin brother and we had quite a large family. Um, And so I learned a lot of kind of life lessons fairly young, Um, sometimes the hard way, sometimes not. I went to boarding school, um, university, and, and ended up, landing a job as a graduate with a company called James Hardy, who I'd never heard of at the time, uh, and thought I'd give it a crack for for six or 12 months and and see what happened. Uh, 19 years later, I'm still here. Uh, I've been on a fantastic journey with this business. Um, I've done about 17 different roles. I've had about 15 different bosses over that period, uh, and I've worked both here in Australia um, or across APAC, uh, then into Europe for four years and into North America, been over three years, and and then back here. Um, a few years ago, and now I'm 
looking after the Australian New Zealand business for James Hardy. So it's been it's been a great ride, and the business has been fantastic, helping me, I guess, achieve my own career goals. Um, and I've hopefully given a little bit back as well along the way. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, you know, with your experience, we do have a few leadership questions we wanted to ask. Um, from your experience, what do you think is the most, well, the, what are the most important attributes of successful leaders today? Well, I think there's plenty of challenges um, in today's environment. Oh, look, I think there's, it's never been more important to have a very clear vision uh, of the what uh, and the why right now. Um, there's a lot of noise um, in markets right now, um, globally, but also locally. And so as a leader, you know, your people and certainly your customers, you know, your shareholders, the community need to be very clear on what you stand for as a brand and as a business um, and certainly the, the why. Um, and certainly from an internal perspective, if your employees don't really understand what we're here to do, what we're here to achieve and, and what lies behind um, you know, the P&L and, and the numbers we talk to, uh, it becomes a fairly pointless venture. So uh, I think that's, that's really important. Uh, I think some of the other pieces... And, sorry, Gus, go. And John, sorry, maybe you can answer it after that because I just cut you off. Uh, when you talk about the what and the why uh, around the vision, you know, one of the attributes of a, of a leader, how do you actually execute that simply uh, as, you know, as a leader sometimes have a different mind to the people on the, sh- on the factory floor, for example. But I'm just cutting you off, so please answer it when you... No, no, that's fine. I think it was one of the points I was going to mention. I think as, again, to exactly that point, I think as a leader today, you have to... People have to be able to um, get on the same page with you. You need to be able to connect with people um, at all levels within an organisation. It can't just be from up high, this is how we see things and this is what we must do. It absolutely has to be... um, Yeah, you need to be connected... You know, from our perspective here, I need to make sure that they're you all know, connected with our operators on the plant floor, uh, all the way through our salespeople in the field, um, through our corporate offices and whatever else, um, or other people you can get to. So, yeah, that, that, that for me is probably one of the, the key takeaways. Um, the other one I'd talk to is how do you create a really safe environment for people um, to be themselves and uh, kind of be the best, the best version of themselves? Uh, there's this term psychological safety, uh, which... We've been using a little bit and it is important, especially in an environment at the moment where people are in lockdown, have been for a long time in some cases. Uh, mental illness and mental health is getting a lot of airplay, which is good. Uh, there's some real uh, people hurting out there. So I think that a psychological safety, making sure people you know, in their workplace feel safe in themselves, uh, both physically, of course, zero harm is extremely important in our business and a lot of other businesses, but certainly from a mental uh, perspective as well that they feel safe and can talk openly um i think that that's really important yeah i actually wanted to ask you a question about that john you know how do you bring the best out of the people you lead in addition to psychological safety is there anything else that you um would recommend i think having really uh, clear expectations and making sure people you know, in the organisation, understand what those expectations are. Um, and then they're, they're, they're typically a collective expectation. Um, but for yourself as a leader, your, your team needs to understand where you stand um, because ultimately if you talk about leadership shadow, uh, you know, I, I can talk about something today, uh, I can get on the floor and do something today, um, but only a very you're only really impacting a small a group of people. Um, so the leadership shadow is when your people take what you've talked to, the standards you've set, and then cascade that throughout an organisation. 
um, really important that you get that piece right. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's probably the one of the things I've talked to there. Um, I think the other bit would be people, especially high-performing people, they need space to be them best, their best their, their best selves, um, if I can get that out. It's, it's something where we, depending, especially in an environment like this, you can kind of get into a micromanagement style. You know, you've got your daily meetings, you, you, you're, you're tracking numbers extremely closely because what else are you going to do? You're sitting at home in lockdown, you're going to be all over uh, the detail you can be. Uh, I think most people don't perform as well as you'd like yeah, if, if you don't give them the space to, to be them, you know, a version of themselves they want to be versus somebody that you want them to be. And then I think that's, that, that's a key difference. Um, give, give people space, especially high-performing people, uh, people who have experience. Yeah. So. yeah. John, I could be biased on this. And for the audience, um, I worked for John for five years and uh, I can actually second what, what he said. And I want to, I want to talk more about giving a space for high-performing people to do what they can do to bring the best out of their capability to the business. And I, I always remember how you manage and bring the best out of me because you are someone that very clear in your expectation uh, and yet you don't actually, uh, I don't say you don't check, you definitely know your expectation, the what and the why and the expectation. But I never once in that five years feel like uh, I'm confused of the outcome I need to bring to the table. Uh, and, and I think what you said before, it's absolutely crucial uh, in any leaders creating that safe environment where people can wake up in the morning and actually say, I will do the best I can because I'm very, very clear in the outcome that I need to bring to the table. Yeah, and we'll talk to it more when we get into the, some of the sales pieces, but you know, clarity of objective for a salesperson, incredibly important um, in, in getting that right. I think the other the other element from uh, from getting the best out of people, you've got to be really honest. And this is something Gus is very good at for the people listening in, um, being very honest and being very much himself, which, which we all love about him. Uh, but I think that, you know, you don't have to be uncouth, but you need to be able to speak fairly plainly um, so people understand because... Everyone has a different lens. You know, when you're listening to what Gus says today, you know, five different people will take away five different things. So being able to speak very simply, uh, very honestly, and, and very much to the point is really important um, because if you want people to take away a message, you have to repeat that message multiple times, but you have to speak in a language that people can understand first and foremost and take away the message that you're, you're trying to drive. Uh, and if somebody hasn't performed or, they have it, or they've let themselves down or you've let yourself down, you need to be able to just have the courage to have that conversation. Um, you know, if someone does something that's not appropriate, you, you're not going to walk past that. And you know, there's a, a phrase I use a lot, which is the standard you walk past is the standard you set or the standard you accept. And, and that, that translates across every function of the business, whether it's operations in zero harm, um, whether it's, again, you're on the road, your behavior when you're driving your car, um, or when it's when you're just having a conversation with a colleague, uh, it's, if, if something doesn't make sense, you need to call it out. And, and that takes honesty, it takes courage, and it's hard. And, and being getting the best out of your people though, relies on that. Because if you don't, it can go sideways really easily. So that, that'd be something I'd call out. And I'm just curious, Gus, you said, you know, working under John's leadership, um, he, you know, gave you the room, you were able to grow. Have you carried this across to Peerlight out of curiosity? 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think it will be uh, it will be a lie uh, to say that I uh, I didn't bring all the good bits uh, that I experienced, and I I I'm very openly said that my experience working under John for five years was one of the best time for my career as well. Uh, yes, uh, and and the one thing that I do with my team is clear expectation, the what and the why. And allow them to actually put their flavor, you know. So you know, yes, in the you know, if I bring an analogy, uh, I tell them that I want to cook noodles, but I can't be very descriptive to how exactly the level of the salt, water, and and, and the heat, because you know, uh, it's become very descriptive, and that's what John bring to the organization. And I'm, uh, you know, uh, five, that was. Five years ago, by the way. So I'm, uh, you know, a uh, long time ago. But yes, I did bring and I still executed today at my business Fantastic. name, Fila. Um John, you've mentioned you've worked um, extensively with, across Europe, North America and APAC. From your experience, what type of leadership do you think transcends different markets and cultures and best drives the performance of a business? Well, this is a good question because I think people get, very caught up in, well, in Australia, we do things this way. In Europe or in the UK or in, in Canada, we're different. We're Canadians. And I can tell you firsthand, uh, it is, yes, there are variances around the world or, or people are culturally slightly different, but generally in business, things are very, very similar. And um, there's a couple of things I'd call out. The first one would be that if you can have a culture where best idea wins, um, it goes a long way to really creating the best outcomes um, because ultimately innovation is extremely important in, in thinking um, both around, hey, products and services, but also business model. And you, you can't be sitting in a room where the loudest voice wins. Uh, and you see that time and time again in, in organizations um, where people don't feel safe to talk. Uh, this person's the loudest and apparently the smartest because they're the loudest, which is most of the time not true. Uh, and, you know, you don't actually get um, the people who really have some innovative thinking and thoughts you don't get that out on the table. And so as a business, you lose. Uh, and, and it comes down to diversity of thought. Um, and that, that's something that, again, it's honestly, anywhere in the world, it's the same thing. Uh, if you can create a culture where the best idea in the room wins, it's not who said it, it's not the boss said it. Um, you know, we do a lot here about engaging operators where the best ideas we have when it comes to manufacturing comes off the floor. You know, we have some very, you know, we have some great people have been here a long time in some cases, and they know the machines. They know how to get the best performance. And we just have to ask and listen uh, and then take action. And I think the other, there's another one here, which and Gus will relate to this. Being relentless in your drive to succeed, doesn't matter where you are, is very important. Um, and again, we'll talk about sales. It's important in sales. Um, I like the word relentless because I tell you, you look around the business world, it is people who are relentless that win nine times out of ten. Um, yeah, you need to be able to get up day in, day out, and not necessarily work the hardest, but remain focused on what you're going to achieve day in, day out until you achieve it. Uh, and you need to be relentless in that focus. Um, I think the last one would be, and I kind of already spoke about it, it's a little bit about the culture um, and actions. So I think... Your actions, and our CEO right now, Jack Trong, has a has a, 
a saying he says quite a lot, and it's, it's very true, which is your actions need to be so loud we can't hear you speak. And there's variations of that uh, of that saying, but it's an incredibly powerful um, message. And actions, are, you know, what drives people. So again, as a leader, if you think you're going to tell someone something and they're going to do it, then you haven't been a leader for very long because you haven't seen how it doesn't work. Um, you know, you, you need to walk the talk. You know, you need to have a discipline around what you do. If you say you were going to do something, you have to do it. Um, you know, and I, I can, a very easy example for me is I, I walk through a car park. If I see an earbud on the ground because some operator has walked, you know, uh, you know out, out of shift and, and got into his car and dropped an earbud, I will always pick it up. Because if I don't pick it up, if I don't have a discipline to pick up that earbud and put it in the bin, what else am I going to walk past? If I walk past that, I could walk past an operator who is in a dangerous situation and not act, and and that's not acceptable. And so, that it's a similar, it's a similar conversation um, when you talk about expectations, having high expectation, reasonable expectations, but high expectations, and then making your actions speak far, far louder than your words. You know, that's a really basic principle, and it works. People follow what you do. I don't necessarily follow what you say, but they will always follow what you do. John, I want to ask you, I, I want to elaborate more because I experience how you run your business. You know, you talk about diversity of thought. Uh, you know, when I look back at my time at James Hardy, uh, you are one of the leader leading the organization where uh, you don't tend to worry too much the background, similarity background of where people come from. You focus on employing people from diverse type of industry to equip the James Hardy kind of, you know, this thing about, uh, you know, diversity of thought have to come from diversity of backgrounds. Uh, I implement that in my business today and the, the result are just advancing. Uh, can you elaborate? Because many companies with a small, medium, big, uh, we tend to take the easy way out where, uh, you know, we are a Uh, we are a hardware store, so you know. Let's get people from the same industry because they know what we do. Uh, what's your view around this, John? Uh, I think it's I think it's well, look, it's well researched now, Gus, and it, it's it's the evidence is overwhelming that the more diverse your workforce, the more successful your business will be. And there and there's lots of studies that people could Google and find that that will attest to that. But but ultimately, the more diverse. You are when I, that could be cultural diversity, it could be gender diversity. Um, there's lots of different types of diversity and inclusiveness that that we try and um, I guess work towards these days in terms of where we're trying to get to. Um, but but ultimately, it's it's about when I think about you sit down in a room uh, and I think about our Rose Hill plant. We have 37 or 41, I forget the number, different nationalities that work in our Rose Hill plant out of 250 people. So it's a hugely diverse cultural melting pot. Uh, and the thinking we get is amazing um, from our people. So, you know, and, and, you, and when we ask operators and with that diversity of thought, you'll get seven different options, you know, to, to, to a problem and a solution to a problem. And then you can go through those and figure out what makes sense and what doesn't rather than if they were all from the same background, culturally, um, all came up through the same way of working, you get one solution to a problem because it's, it's very much that group think. This is how we do things here, right? So bringing in cultural diversity, uh, gender diversity makes a huge impact to any business and it's something we strive for, not always successfully, but it's something we, we are trying to, to get better at over time. Yeah. And can I just ask... It's a good call, I guess. Sorry, you mentioned before the, you know, the best idea wins. 
and you said that, you know, you could have a quiet person that is quite um, an introvert, let's say that's quiet and doesn't want to, you know, put their hand up, but has a great idea. If I am, let's use Gus's example, a hardware store owner, how would I encourage that person or how can, what advice would you have to actually get everyone um, to voice their ideas? Something that doesn't cost too much, let's say. Sure. Yeah, well, no, it doesn't cost anything. It goes, uh, it goes back to creating an environment where people feel safe to have a conversation and, and let their thoughts be heard. Um, if you, you, sit in a, you see it again. I've seen it. You sit in a management meeting. Um, you've got a couple of people that do all the talking and people just kind of step, take a mental step back um, and, and don't engage. And as a leader, you have, to, you have to call that out. You have to actually call people out. Um, which might not be comfortable in the moment for those people, but but typically you need to create an environment where, hey, everyone is equal in this room. Um, there is no best idea. There's no worst idea. It's about everyone putting out what their thoughts are. And then so as a group and a collective, we can come together and go, okay, well, based on that, based on where we're going and what we need, that thinking over there makes a bunch of sense. Let's let's go test that um, and, and move forward. So that that's, I guess, where... Where I'm coming yeah. from with that, um, it's it, it's really up to the leader to help facilitate and make that happen. When someone is not able to do that, that's your fault, not theirs. It's kind of how I look. There's exceptions, of course, but as a leader, you you have responsibilities, and, and and one of those responsibilities is to be accountable for everyone in your team, not just the the people that want to be heard and seen. So. And I think that just to add to that, if we remember what Koshil Kapadia from Shrede when he spoke at Leader Talk, I can't remember, Leader Talk 7, about, uh, about simplicity, uh, the capability of any leaders to actually know its place of the conversation they bring. So in my journey, I see different type of leaders, you know, a leaders that I consider uh, the peacock of the room that unless they show the capability of neurosurgeon type of topics before everyone talks, when the people in the audience are literally the people from the factory plant, uh, like it's really uh, simple stuff. You know, you need to know what you bring to the topic and the more you create a safe environment, like what John talking about, uh, you know, the leader can actually get the maximum benefit out of it. And I'll tell that, you, I Gus used to be one of those people. Can you imagine? Gus was uh, used to be in meetings and, I'd have to pull Gus out of his shell because he was, you know, worried that, you know, what he was going to say wasn't wasn't smart enough or wasn't good enough. And, and I'm thinking, man, you're a mechanical engineer. You probably, you've, got, you've got better thinking than most people in this room. But uh, but that that's the that's the reality. You know, everyone's different. And in social situations or in settings like this, uh, a lot of people don't feel comfortable putting themselves out there, right? And, and that's where, as a leader, you have to facilitate that. Um a lot of the time offline, you have to do it in the meeting. You can pull people aside and have a conversation. Uh, someone's being a bit loud, you might want to grab them and pull them aside and say, "Hey, how about you uh, give a, you know, leave <laughs> some air in the room for everybody else?" And but yeah, I mean, you've just got to facilitate that and and create that environment that really makes people successful. And high high performing people, they will migrate to that type of environment. You know, um, the people you don't necessarily want. I got to sit in an environment which is tough, um, di- just disengaged and just go go with the flow. Highly engaged, motivated, high-performing people 
will move to an environment where they can be successful. Uh, and, and that's, especially right now, I just read an article this morning about the great resignation, apparently, which is on its way, where 40% of people in Australia have thought about leaving their jobs in the last six months. Um, so when you, when you talk about leadership, uh, you talk about the challenges coming, um, yeah, you have to really be responsible and accountable for creating environments where people want to work and can be successful. And, and I think I want to call it out, Nat, you know, when John mentioned that story about I used to come to him and I said, oh, John, you know, I'm in the in the room, you know, uh, not only, uh, you know, I, my English, as every audience can hear, I have an accent, uh, my thinking, my analogy normally relate to noodles and stuff, you know, yet I actually have the thinking that I want to share. Uh, John actually pushed me to actually say, say it as you like, mate, say it as how you want to say it, you know, and, and the more I do that, the more I create an impact and come back to what John said, the leader responsible for this. And I have to give it back to John. John create a safe environment for me uh, to be able to do that. And now every leaders, whether you owning a hardware store, you owning a, uh, I can't help myself uh, or you owning a kebab shop, uh, you, you, <laughs> you, have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to actually create a safe environment so your kebab have different flavor. Yeah, look, it's such great <laughs> advice. We're laughing because we always say Gus mentions um, the, the kebab shop as the example. Um, look, or, or, or noodles. noodles. One of the two. Um, staying on the to- topic of leadership, I'd love to know, John, what is your proudest, proudest leadership moment? And perhaps why? We know it's tough being a leader, but what would be your proudest? I think it's a it's a tough question because I don't think you you step back and go, "Wow, that point right there was a extremely proud." I, I think every day there's small little moments which you're proud of um, when you see people kind of step up for the first time, or take a step back for the first time, or you know, think, you know, put, put themselves out in an uncomfortable situation. Um, look, I think you're looking at one right now. I think Gus, one of my, um, and, and you have to kind of reflect on it a bit because it, it doesn't, didn't hit me at the time, to be honest. I just thought I was, you know, just cracking along and here was Gus. Uh, and in my view on Gus, where he'd been, um, hadn't been recognized for his capability. And it was very easy for me to see that and, and give him the opportunities. And he absolutely smashed every opportunity that was given to him, um, worked harder, wanted it more and delivered the, the results, um, you know, exceeded people's expectations. And so in reflection, Gus absolutely is one of, you know, the, the prouder moments I've had, which is a bit awkward. Sorry, Gus, but we talked before about having little <laughs> conversations. But, yeah, it's uh, – Gus has done extremely well. And, you know, from Hardy, he's gone from strength to strength. You know, like wherever he goes, he creates an environment of success. Um, and people like to win. And so, you know, Gus helps people win and so they want to be around him. And, you know, he's uh, – He's a good guy, and that's certainly one of my prouder moments uh, from a leadership perspective. So sorry, Gus, for making you feel uncomfortable. I think. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Look, I think the other piece probably for me would be first stepping into to a GM role four or five years ago, and then kind of not having much exposure to certain parts of the business and having to jump in and and drive it. Um, we we just we came together pretty well as a team fairly quickly in that in that first year. We we managed to pretty much break every record across most metrics. Um, and that was really just about getting on the same page, 
all believing we can make it happen uh, and, and executing. You know, it's all about action in the end. You need to, your actions need to speak louder than your words. And, and we executed really well in that first year and have continued that trend through to today. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a good run. Fantastic. And of course, you will be very proud that James Hardy, if I'm not mistaken, in the ISX top 20 now. Right? Yes. So yes, no, it will be is, very yeah, proud well, I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm proud to be part of a company that's in the top 20 ISX uh, at the moment. So, yeah, we're certainly, as a global business, we're moving forward at a rapid rate. You know, and our CEO, Jack Trong, has, has really led the business and helped us rethink how we go to market. Um, and, and, yeah, we're... We've certainly seen the benefits of that, and it's only just the beginning. We're certainly we're on a path now, and we're a long way from done. So it's an exciting time to be a James Lane. And what about you, Gus? Have you got a proudest moment that you'd like to share? It is hard to think of one. You are right because you yeah, kind of I, don't actually think about it on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah. Look, if I if I look back, uh, I'm biased about a business named James Hardy. You know, uh, I I worked there for a decade, and I until today I'm very very close to 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 that business. Even though I've been distant for five years, uh, they have excellent people, excellent leader. But if you ask me what my proudest leadership moment when I left the business, uh, as John mentioned, the business was in the good shape. I never think that the business can even grow. Like you know, as a person, you always think, "Wow, I achieved certain things." I must be very special. Everyone are replaceable. Uh, I move and the size of James Hardy triple. And I look back now, I'm thinking, I must didn't do that well, obviously, because James Hardy grow even further. But to come back to the question of what my proudest moment, uh, the team that I left, the business that I left, grow, win, and the people still engage with me congratulating me for something different that I do. Uh, and I think as a leader, I I feel very proud. I feel very proud. What's the point of building something right to just see destroyed? You know, and 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 James Hardy, I, I take off my hat, you know, for the team that is in there, for Jeff Mann, uh, the the state manager for Victoria that I uh, is a friend to me, uh, you know, Robbie, Robbie P, the GM of sales, you know, like John Neal, you know, well done, you know, for you guys. And that's make me very proud. That's my proud moment. Uh, every time I look back at what I used to build, even growing more in absence of me because yeah. they are just great. Thanks, Gus. Um, we're going to move on to sales performance because conscious that's what, you know, we're all keen to discuss because let's face it, you know, uh, we had this discussion before. I'm one of those, when I think of sales, I do think of it as a dirty word. It's not something, you know, that it's, super comfortable with. So from your perspective, John, what do you think are the attributes of a great salesperson? So if we can just picture this perfect person. Okay, so straight away you've got it all wrong because no one in sales is perfect. So uh, I think i start with your first point. Sales is a dirty word. I grew up in a family where, yeah, it was a dirty word. My mother even struggles still to say, were you in sales? Like she she really... um, it's just something about the culture in Australia where people think of sales, and I think used car salesmen or that you know that mentality of some of some con person trying to swindle you out of your money. I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth. And I think you know, in other parts of the world where I've worked, sales is a absolutely respectable profession. You go to university, 
uh, to get that degree uh, and you know, you get into to market and you make great money and, and you live a you know fantastic life as a salesperson. I think in Australia we've got some ways to go in terms of recognizing what that is. Um, but you know we, we're down a path um, to getting there. In terms of what makes a great salesperson, I think, and this is where I always like Gus, right? It's, it's easy conversation with Gus because Gus and I are quite alike in one way, which is we're fairly driven to succeed. And, and drive as a salesperson, incredibly important. In fact, the, the first thing I look for in recruiting any person, by the way, not just sales, but uh, is drive because drive you, you can't teach. Um, now, we're not discriminating against anyone, um, but someone who is driven and can drive, as I said before, be relentless around achieving an outcome will typically be successful. And in sales, it's even more important. Um, so that, that that first element around drive, really important. I think being smart is another piece we call out. Um, look, when I say smart, I don't mean rocket scientist smart. I mean somebody who is really keen to understand the best and most efficient way to get something done uh, and really connect with people to understand what their needs and wants are, um, really understand their market so that when they call on somebody or when they talk to somebody, every minute of that time is valuable versus wasting your time with someone who is not the right target. Um, so smart to me is about how do you, you know, talk to the right person every single time um, with the right message every single time um, at the right time every single because the timing is very important as well. So I think the smart piece is important. Uh, resilience, you wouldn't be in sales for long if you're not resilient because you are going to get knocked down and you have to get back up again and again and again. And that that is okay. That's how you learn. And I think resilience is important. Um, and, you know, you don't have to be an extrovert or an introvert or resilience is just something um, that really helps you get on with what your job is and, and, and how to move through your life. And, you know, I look at my kids now in primary school, they're teaching resilience, which is fantastic. I think it's one of the most underrated skill sets around is being resilient in the face of adversity. Uh, and I think in sales, extremely important. Um, two last things. One is uh, being disciplined. We've already spoken to that, so I probably wouldn't talk about it too much. It's, it's about setting a standard, being disciplined. In fact, I'll tell you, people ask me, well, what's because I was in sales for quite a while. I mean, I was in sales and sales operations type of roles for probably 13, 14 years and yeah, probably at least that long. And so people are like, what's the secret? Um, you know, to a great salesperson, and and I'm like, you know what? Actually, being uh, having good manners is a secret. Following up with somebody every single time um, in a consistent way is a secret. You'd be surprised. Most salespeople just don't follow up. If you're the person that goes in, you have a conversation, you talk to what the person's needs and wants are, um, you go away and try and match that to what your business's core capability is, uh, and then you follow up and you actually do the right thing in a positive and polite and way, you'd be very surprised how successful you'll be just doing that. Um, it's, it's extremely important. And the last but probably almost most important thing is being a fantastic listener. If people think you're in sales to talk, you are dead wrong. You know, and I think people say, oh, you've got to be an extrovert to be in sales. That is not true. Now, extroverts can be great salespeople, don't get me wrong, and, and often are. Um, but introverts can also be amazing salespeople because you need to be able to listen. I mean, ultimately, what are you trying to do in sales? You are matching the basic core competency of your business to the needs and wants of a future customer. 
Uh, and how are you going to know what those future needs and wants are if you don't listen? So being a fantastic listener, really understanding your customer from the ground up uh, is 101 with sales. And I'll tell you, it's in a hundred times you go out, you know, you go on some calls with some people and the salesperson is just talking at the customer and the customer's just sitting there looking at them. And I'm like, just stop, like just stop talking. Like your job here is not to talk. Your job is to listen, understand, uh, and then talk to exactly what that customer's needs and wants are and nothing else. Um, so, you know, there, there's some really important lessons in that. And as I said, there's no perfect salesperson. You can be come from any different background, any gender, extrovert, introvert, doesn't matter. If you have a couple of basic pieces, uh, you can be very successful. And can I add to that, Matt, uh, you know, and John, you know, when John's saying about extrovert, you know, if you are extrovert, then you are in sales, you are blessed. But that's not the key that you are successful if you are extrovertly like to talk, right? One thing that I add for the attribute is the ability to be curious and have the ability to ask questions. So the people that you actually service, not sell, service, can actually lay out their problems. And James Hardy, in particular, teach us well around these capabilities. I still say teach us well. It's funny. Um, you know, John, if you can share, you know, the, the length of your organization teaching salespeople with simulation, with, you know, that uh, that simulation. So, so in that organization, they actually put salespeople into real, real simulation in the building with the different type of clients. So people have the capability of being curious, asking questions, listening. Uh, it's just something that it can't come up automatically. You need to really learn. And I think, John, you run it well and, and or the organization support it well. Yeah, thanks, Carl. So it is, there's a lot to be said. And you don't need to pay a lot of money and run up. We, we used to have simulators. We you know, paid actors and a whole bunch of different things. But, I mean, you know, I came when I was doing sales. You know, we did not do any of that. We, we just talked to each other. We would, we would role play. Role play might be awkward, but it works. Um, there's lots of different skills you can develop with your colleagues and with your wife, husband, partner. I mean, there's lots of ways to to really uh, work through skill sets. Um, you don't need to have a lot of money to be successful. Just a question on that. You're talking about you know role play simulation. So if we're hiring a salesperson, should we be doing this before we hire them? How do we actually know that? We're going to pick someone that's driven, that's resilient. You know, there's, they're really key things that we're looking for. Is there some sort of test that we should be doing before we hire someone? It's a good question. Uh, we, we've done lots of things over the years. We used to give people IQ tests and personality tests. We still do quite a bit of testing. Um, multiple interviews across different stakeholders. Um, like the most powerful thing for me, you really need to understand and talk to somebody who that person's worked with or for, or who's been a colleague or, you know, it, you need to understand what people have done and how they've done it, um, it is really helpful. Or, and or, you know, bring them in and, and, and actually we, we often do, we ask people to present, you know, a business plan. So, hey, we're going to look at this different market in this geography, in this segment, come back to us and give us your thoughts on how you'd approach that. Uh, or, Talk to. I often talk about sales process, and sales process is just like a manufacturing process. Um, 
if you can order and sequence things correctly, you'll, you'll you kind of increase the outcome uh, in terms of how successful you are. So, you know, we talk about, I often talk about sales process with people. So tell me, run me through the process you use when you go talk to a customer or a potential customer or, so there's certainly ways you can walk through whether people kind of have that capability or not. I think testing is a, is a useful tool, but certainly not um, more than that. It's not, not the, someone can test badly and be an incredible salesperson or, and vice versa, by the way, test amazingly and then not really work out. So testing is just a, an indicator. Uh, and then it's really about, you know, can you get feedback directly from where they've come from, uh, from people you trust or respect or know? If you can't, then you've really got to potentially dive into different aspects. Like I said, run me through your process. Help me understand how you think uh, as you, you know, you walk through revenue generation or how do you open that market up or, and different opportunities like that. You'll get a very good idea. I mean, specific, being specific is very important. So I think there's a, a few red flags um, when, you, when you're interviewing salespeople. One would be they talk too much. <laughs> and Gus would remember this. Like if, you, if you can't sit there and uh, have a, a, a conversation uh, where people are mutually listening and responding to what you say, not just responding, you'll, you'll see this, by the way, with your friends and in society in general. People just sit there waiting for their turn to talk, right? They're not actually listening to what you're saying. Um, when you... If you, when you're engaged and you're listening actively, um, there's lots of good models about active listening. It, you know, you are responding directly to what that person is saying. You are not sitting there waiting to pitch your amazing idea. Check out what I've got. I've got this great product, and they're sitting there going, "I don't even know who you are. Like, what product is that?" Like, yeah, you need to be able to listen, respond directly to what the person is saying, and really draw out of them what their I said their needs and wants are, and I said just match that with what you can do and there's often not a match, right? So you've got to be really clear about getting that match right even before you walk in the door. So. That's really great advice. Thank you. Um, empowering a sales team. If uh, How do you empower a sales team to achieve a great outcome? Uh, look, I think we've talked to some of this already. Um, clarity of objective is the number one for salespeople. If I'm a, if I'm a hunter... Or even if I'm an account manager and I'm looking after certain accounts, clarity of what needs to get done drives every action you take in market. So if you're not clear, you will struggle to be successful. It's that simple. So when people leave a job, by the way, especially a salesperson, and you ask them why you left, number one reason is their boss. And if you dig down further, you'll find the number one reason their boss, I don't like their boss or they're not happy, is their boss hasn't been able to give them clarity um, of what they actually have to go and do. Uh, what, why are we here? What are we doing? What do I need to achieve? Um, I think uh, so. That, that's an easy one. I think that people get that. But uh, if you know, if you're running a small business, it's not often something you think about. Your people need to know what they get up in the morning for. What are we going to do today, and why are we doing it? Pretty simple. And you don't need to be a rocket scientist to to put a couple of lines down on a bit of paper of what that is you'll find that will have a, a decent impact uh, on your people's engagement and how they how they connect with you uh, as an individual as well. Um, look, I think, again, as a leader, you need to clear obstacles. So once you've made the goal, it's very clear, you've got everyone in the room, you've motivated them with an inspirational speech of how good they are and how amazing they're going to do out in the market when they get out there, you've really got to clear obstacles. As a leader, you've got to clear obstacles. You know, obstacles 
are everywhere. Noise is everywhere, okay? Um, and as a leader, you need to clear that noise. Um, make it very clear what they need to get done. Um, if there are things that are distracting, move the distractions. You know, you don't, we don't need as leaders to go in and do our people's jobs. Your job is actually to help get the pieces out the road that are distracting them from being successful. Uh, and that's, again, pretty easy to say, sometimes harder in, in, in real life to, to make that happen, but, but that can be really powerful. It's like we talked about, you've got to give high-performing people space to be successful. If they're drowning with distraction, with noise, you know, ping coming at them from every direction, they will not be successful. It doesn't matter who they are. So as leadership, you need to be able to remove obstacles. John, can I just uh, come back to that particular point? Because I love that kind of point. It's, it's one point that uh, I personally always believe, you know, as a leader, as a leader, uh, you your job is to actually do the most dip- difficult task. Yet, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people and when i'm talking about a leader you know you are a leader at home you are a leader for your small business we are a leader in anything uh, you know where we are and yet uh, there is some that is actually expecting the people that is have less knowledge authority and strength to actually do bigger job and then blame the outcome and this is the number one reason where sales objectives, salespeople unable to perform well because the leaders just easily said, why didn't you hit that objective? Uh, well, the, 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 the obstacle is so big, no one helped me. <laughs> no one helped me. And you are demonstrating that consistently when the problem are big, we can access you. And I think the one thing that I take and experience, and I think uh, one thing that I can share is the ability for a leader to allow the people to come and say, I have a problem and I can fix it in the safe environment are absolutely crucial in a sustainable performing business. Absolutely, Gus. Uh, I think the last element I'd say is what what the people, salespeople love, recognition. You cannot miss the recognition. Um, let's be honest, we all love recognition. Okay, Whether you think you do or not, you, you, you like recognition. So, uh, I think recognizing salespeople, um, you know, we, we kicked off, Gus, you were right in the middle of it. Uh, we used to have our Australian business conferences, which we've grown over time. They're still going. Um, and then we really started them to recognize amazing performances from people who have gone over and above uh, in the market, um, shifted markets, segments, done incredible work. And you need to be able to recognize that and, and, and thank people for the contribution they make. Um yeah, and call them out in front of their peers. You know, people like recognition. And, and by the way, again, if you're a driven person, you want to be recognised and you want to be the person getting the award next year. You know, you want to drive towards that. Uh, and, you know, if you can hire and motivate and drive a culture that, you know, uh, gets you people that actually are driven to succeed, recognition is incredibly important. So uh, that, that's... Can I, can I also ask, John, can I also ask another thing when we are on the recognition? Recognition, there's two parts, right? So one is recognition, the fact that they can be the best salespeople uh, of the year, you know, the, the region most successful, blah, blah, blah. Uh, how about incentive? Share with me your uh, idea about incentivizing because, you know, sales relate to incentive. Uh, I'm a small hardware store with limited resource and, and, and let's call it limited money. Uh, how do you how do you respond 
how do we build a great business that can recognize and incentivize um, uh, so the outcome become uh, a sustainable outcome for the business and for the person? Sure. So I think there's, you can cover this a number of ways. I think we'll start with the a basic incentive scheme for potentially businesses which are medium-sized businesses that have a few salespeople uh, and that they have incentive schemes. I think the best incentive schemes that I've seen be successful have had nothing to do with the size or the amount of money or things like that. It is all about how real is it. So if you're going to incentivize somebody, make it something that is in their control. If it is not in their control, don't incentivize them because they will just not do it. You know, we all wake up every morning and go, what do I need to get done today? What am I going to go and achieve? Uh, especially most salespeople, they're driven to get out there and shift the needle. If if they're getting measured against something they don't actually control, it is the most demotivating thing in the world. So straight away, if you've got an incentive scheme, you need to go back and look at it and go, is, is the incentive directly related to what this person does today, this week, this month, this quarter? If it's not, it will not work. So straight away, that is a very fundamental lesson. Um, and we've learned that the hard way here. We've tried to be too broad sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be this and it's going to be that. People just get demotivated. They can't control the outcome, so why would I bother doing it? Um, so that, that's probably one of the key the key call-outs there. Um, I think there's, if you get more a layer below that, there's a lot to be said about being very specific and measurable uh, and having lagging and leading uh, incentives. So we talk about, you know, lagging and leading is an important one. So again, this business, old school business, is very much tied up in in lagging. What numbers? What are the numbers? Well, I'll tell you, the numbers we get today have been in the pipe for twelve months. So if you're just measuring people on lagging indicators, again, is it really in their control? Yeah, sure, some of it is, but some of it's not. Um, so you've got to reward and recognise people, incentivise them on leading indicators, and that is, is different for everybody. If, if you're in marketing, it could be about how many leads am I creating. That's a leading indicator um, to a sale down the track. Um, you know, it could be behavioral. How many calls have I done this week? Well, I've done four calls a day for, for five days. You know, I know that if I get this many calls done, I will, by default, based on my targeting, is very good. That, you know, my close rate is usually 30%. So you can do the math fairly easily and understand that, you know what, if I'm doing this many calls a day, my close rate looks like this, I'm going to be this successful this week, this month, this quarter, and I can pretty much work out where I'm going. Um, if it's not specific and measurable, um, if it's not leading and lagging, you get kind of people who, again, just get demotivated. It's too hard to, to, to shift the needle. If I can't shift the needle as a salesperson, I'm just going to sit back and coast along because ultimately it's out of my control. Right? And the other thing as well, I can see, John, and I love this lead and lag focus in incentives is, uh, and I'm sure you experienced this, and I'm uh, I'm sure Natalie can also understand this. When you go to an organization, there's always the big known salesperson, right? The guy that always win the big project, you know, the the Mister Dollar, the Dollar Man, the Million Dollar Man. This guy has been working for the organization for ten years, dealing with the same customer, and then you employ a new young guy. You know, because John is a very diverse type of leader that want to get a young guy. Now, this young guy will never, ever, ever able to create the same income to the million dollar sales guy. 
because the measurement is based on lag. The minute you change it to lead and lag, the Mr. Million Dollar Sales Guy have to do the same qualification and finding opportunities equally to the young guy. And then the real performance comes because those people that actually normally get result because of 20 years relationship, well, we value that. I think organization have to value that. I'm, I never I never run a business where I don't value that relationship, but we have to be giving a credit to the young people, young, whether it's young or old. I'm not talking about age, the, the young generation that come to the business, not by age. Equal opportunity to be recognized as the best salesperson. Yeah. And that's what I felt when I worked for James Hardy. I, I get equal I get equal opportunity to prove myself because I wasn't based uh, for the dollar that I bring, but for the, you know, outcome to my task. I think. Um, no, I, was sorry, just, no, I was just curious to know whether Gus, you've actually implemented this lead and lag um, at Peelite as well. Yeah. Is it something? Yeah. Yes. Yes, uh, we are, and I'm proudly, even though this talk show is not about my business name, Peelite. Uh, about about four years ago, we introduced what we call sales excellence. And, uh, you know, we changed the whole incentive program based on lead and lag. You know, everyone equally measured on the process from the qualification to the closing of the business, regardless the outcome. So the minute they do the seven process, they get incentivized because we know that you wake up in the morning doing that. And then when you hit the lag, of course you get incentivized. The business is there to make money. We, 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 we not woke up in the morning. We, we not wake up in the morning opening a business not to make money. Uh, whilst we are in the topic of sales, actually, I, I love this. All right, let's make it very clear. Every business out there has to make money. And if we have a leg measure, then we have the money. But the lead has to be rewarded equally. So the answer is yes. And if we're, I mean, we're talking about incentive programs. I've seen some really grand incentive programs, you know, where branches are, you know, against each other to win a round Australia trip or, you know, um, to Vanuatu or something like that. Or then there's, you know, electronics that they give away. But if I'm a small to medium business owner, let's use a hardware store owner again. I don't have much money for a grand incentive program. Are there some tips you can give them to actually maximize sales performance? And I'm kind of both of you. I'll throw this to both of you. Any tips out there? Cool. I mean, I'll, I'll go first, Gus, and then you, you can jump in. I there's a, there's a few things. Um, one would be everybody's in sales. Number one, um, and I don't call I don't Gus will remember this. I used to call salespeople business people. Because that's what we are. Salespeople are business people. You're in the market. You're the face of the business, uh, and you're helping run and drive the business uh, day in day out. So you're a business person. Uh, and if you're a small business, everybody in that hardware store is responsible and accountable to drive revenue because that's how we pay wages and get the cash flow we need to to get through week by week. Um, so if you haven't got a large sales force or any sales force, if you're the sales force, being the the manager of a hardware store, which is often the case. Um, it's about just being really smart. And I'll go back to some of the things we talked about earlier. So it's about 
was an old old framework STP segment target position, uh, which I've used over the years. Um, but there's some just real basic things. And if you think about who is my ideal customer, for one. So if you're if you're sitting in your your office and you're thinking, I've only got so many hours this week to get into market or to get on the phone and to rustle up some revenue because I tell you what, I can see my pipeline starting to shrink. I've got to get in front of it, um, which is not the case right now. It's ballistic in, in hardware world right now, but you know that that will come off. Um, you know, you've got to really understand who you are first. What is my core capability? What is my core competence? Because ultimately, you're matching that to somebody else. There's no point going out and offering something that you're not. That'll be the quickest way to, to lose revenue and customers, etc. So first, have a really good reflection of who you are. What are my core strengths as a business? What do I offer? Am I great at service? Do I have a unique product proposition? You can go through that and, and figure that out. Uh, once you understand that, you've, you've then got to go, okay, based on that, who is my ideal customer? Now, an ideal customer is somebody who typically will value what you do over anyone else, will pay more for what you do, what you sell, what you service more than anybody else. Um, and potentially, there'll be somebody who doesn't even know they value you more than others, but you do because you understand yourself and you understand what you can offer. So based on that, you can then go to market and try and find your ideal customer. I tell you, when you figure that out, you don't need a whole bunch of salespeople out there because every time you talk to an ideal customer, you'll win the deal. You'll close that sale. When you don't have, when you talk to somebody who isn't your ideal customer because you've kind of a bit confused about who you are or who they are or what they do, you're going to lose most of the time. So again, you've got to be smart about this and you don't have to have 100 salespeople. You can have one salesperson. If they hit the right person every single time, you are going to be very successful as a business. And so it's, it's how you look at the market, what segments you play in, you know, what, what positioning am I? Am I high, medium, low? You know, what are my core capabilities? How do I match that with somebody in market that's looking for those things that I offer? Uh, and then how do I get there and be relentless in my service approach in how I follow through with them and, and continue to create value for them every day. So I think there's there's a business approach as a small business, which is very valuable. You don't need a bunch of salespeople. You need to know who you are, where you're targeting, what market, what segment. Uh, as a hardware store, you're in a certain geography. You know, who are the ideal builders in that local area that you could go talk to who you know your service proposition will hit every single time versus – this guy, he's probably too big. He, he expects a price that's too low. I can't service it. I can't even get supply for that product. But you go talk to him anyway, you are going to lose every time. So why are you talking to him? Just be really clear about who you are and then take that into market. Uh, you'll be successful. Uh, and and that's, that's 101 kind of go-to-market or sales strategy, and it's, it does work. Sorry, Gus, I want to jump in before I talk yep, too long. Uh, just to add to what John say as well, you know, uh, referring what you say also, Ned, you know, uh, uh, incentivize uh, or structuring a sales team that can be applicable to the size of your business. Uh, it's about alignment of how you actually uh, incentivize one to the other. So I give you an example. So it's not so much about the size, adding to what John's saying, once you understand the market. And, um, you have, just say you have only two salespeople. One, you give them a trip all over the world, and the other one is not. Then it's become a problem. Salespeople do not really worry what's the size. Well, we are worried. I'm a salespeople back then and still now. I'm. I. I of course, we strive to get uh, everything we can 
for the feeling, but it's more for the feeling, right? Your ability as a business owner to create an environment where winning a dinner at the pub equally important as you actually incentivize someone to actually winning a trip around the world because what salespeople do before the price is the ego. The ability of a business to actually capture that that ego and making sure that people actually understand, hey, if I do these metrics as what John said, the SPP, then you get a dinner at the pub, equally powerful and less complex compared to someone that said, hey, I give you a trip around the world and the other one can just eat at the pub. That's where the whole thing destroyed. That's oh, my, look, it's very clear and strong messaging. Thank you to you both. Uh, Gus, I'm just looking at the time and I know you always love to wrap up um, after each show. Yeah. So, so first of all, John, uh, thank you so much uh, for your for donating your time. Uh, you know, I'm very biased uh, about uh, about where you come from and uh, and and the input that you give us because uh, I was one of your uh, team and I can second everything you said. Is you actually execute that? Uh, I think it's. I start with uh, the attribute of a great leader. The way John mentioning today. The ability to actually have a clarity on vision and the clarity of how the vision become executable vision and also the ability of a leader to create a safe environment so diversity of thought can come to the business is the number one attribute of a leader. The attribute of a salespeople that is important that can drive a business is someone that is smart. And John said that smart, we're not talking about neurosurgeon smart, but common sense smart, driven, drive to win, being curious, ability to listen, and ability to learn. And then if you want to empower salespeople, you need to have a clarity of objectives. Every people, every salespeople that come to your business need to wake up in the morning with a clarity of what win looks like. Smart, driven, real is what John and James Hardy applied in their business and well done to become the ISX top 20 today. Uh, John Anil, thank you for your time uh, for our leader talk. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks you so much, me. John. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For more information and for some great resources to help your business grow, check out brainiac.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.